Well, good morning. So this service is going to be a little bit different than our norm, and I wanted to just kind of let you know about that up front. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, in a little while, I'm going to bring us through our passage for this morning, but it's going to be a shortened message because we wanted to take some time in our church service this morning to allow some time for us to encourage one another by hearing about ways that God has been at work in our midst. And so after I walk us through the passage, I'm just going to invite some of you to come on up here. I've got the microphone right here. And the idea here is for you to share a way that you have seen God at work in your life, in answered prayers, um, in, in something here at the church that you've been a part of and you've seen lives transformed, some way that you've seen God at work so that you can build up your brothers and sisters. Because we know some of you here, you're at a time, you're, you're exuberant, you're excited, you're seeing God at work, your faith is strong. And then there's probably some of you here that you're in a season of discouragement. And sometimes in those seasons of discouragement, all we can see is darkness. And I was listening to a sermon a couple months ago, a podcast, and, and the pastor said something that was really profound to me. What he said is, we shout in the light so we can whisper in the darkness. And so what I want to invite, maybe there's some of you right now who are in the darkness and you're saying, I, I, I still want to believe, but I'm not really sure what I have to go on here. And so some of you who are in the light right now, and I just mean you're walking at a time that you're really strong in your faith, you're really seeing God at work. You can serve your brothers and sisters by coming up and talking about ways that you've seen God at work. And especially in the past six months, recent ways that you've seen him answering prayers, bringing transformation, bringing people to faith in Jesus for the first time in the ways that we've seen God at work. And before we do that, we, we are going to walk through the passage. In fact, we did this on purpose. We, we chose to do this on a week where the passage is shorter. So it's feasible here. It's just three verses. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, if you want to start turning there now. And through our series, this is week four of our series in 1 Timothy. And so far each week, we've talked about a different house rule for how we function in God's household. Because as the church of the living God, we're God's household. And just like any household, we have values that guide what we do. And so house rule number one that we talked about was that we love the church. We love our brothers and sisters. We love what God is doing in our midst. We love what he's doing. We commit ourselves to that. We love the church. And the second week, we talked about the whole idea that we cling to truth. We hold tightly to truth because we know that there are lies all around us that can lead us astray. And then last week, we talked about the house rule that we revel in grace. We celebrate what God has done with us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's brought us from death to life through what Jesus has done for us. And today, the house rule that we're going to talk about is that we fight for faith. And you know, as we talk about this, the easiest way to lose a fight is to forget that you're in one. The easiest way to lose a fight is to believe that you can win it without really having to try. 1993, the Notre Dame football team was having a great year. They were the number two team in the country. They were undefeated. They were doing great. They were cruising towards a place where they might be able to play for a national championship. 
And they, as the number two team in the country, were about to host Florida State, the number one team in the country. It was dubbed the game of the century because this just, this never happens. Number two never plays number one during the regular season. It was a huge deal. Now just think for a second. If you're the number two team in the country and you're about to host the number one team in the country, are you ready for a fight? They were ready for a fight. They knew it was going to take everything that they had to compete and to win this game. And the game was great. It was back and forth and it lived up to the hype and both teams were playing really well. And Notre Dame was able to pull off the victory 31 to 24. And if you're the number two team in the country and you beat the number one team in the country, what happens? You're number one. They took over as the number one spot and they only needed to win one more game. They needed to beat Boston College the next week and then they would play for the national championship. And Boston College was not a bad team But they weren't like Florida State. They weren't like Notre Dame. It should have been a game that Notre Dame won fairly easily. In fact, the year before, they had beaten Boston College 54 to 7. This was a game they should have won. But as soon as the opening kickoff happened, things began to unravel. And by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, Notre Dame was down 38 to 17. They feverishly stormed back and made a heroic comeback, which kind of shows they were the better team all along. They made a heroic comeback, but it ended up being too little too late because Boston College won on a last second field goal, ruining Notre Dame's season because they didn't come ready for a fight. They thought that they had a game before them that they could win without having to really try. And to me, this is a powerful reminder that, you know, we we live in the United States and that means that we're not living in the kind of peril and danger that some people live in. And so we can start to forget that we're in a fight. We can think I I can kind of make through my, my way through this without having to fight too hard because my life as a whole isn't terribly dangerous And maybe I'm at a point financially where kind of going to a life of crime, it's not a big temptation to me, so I'm not fighting off that temptation. And sometimes it can feel like the biggest battle that we're facing is what do we watch next on Netflix? We can start to feel like maybe I can get through this. Maybe I can get through it and I can follow Jesus without really having to fight. And what we need to be reminded of is that following Jesus is not a stroll in the park. Following Jesus is a campaign through a war zone. We fight for faith. We fight the doubts that we have that undermine our connection to Jesus. We fight the temptations that we face that would undercut our closeness in reveling in the grace that God has given us. We fight the discouragement that makes us want to just surrender and give up. We fight for faith. And just in these three short verses in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, Paul is going to tell Timothy to fight for the faith, and he's going to tell him and us two ways that we fight for the faith. So it starts off, the two things that he's going to tell Timothy to do is he's going to tell Timothy to look back, and then he's going to tell him to look around. So he starts by telling him to look back. We fight the good fight by looking back. Verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. 
holding on to faith and a good conscience. And you can see how the entire passage sort of builds to that one statement that you see at the end of verse 18, fight the battle well, or as some translations might have it in a slightly older way, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Fight the battle well. That's what Paul is leading Timothy to. But you can see that the way he builds towards it is he tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to look back. I want you to remember something that will empower you to fight the battle well. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. And the command has to do with the gospel message itself that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And it also has to do with the idea that Timothy is specifically commanded to proclaim this message in the midst of a bunch of lies. But he says, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. He says, Timothy, I want you to look back. I want you to remember something. Because maybe for Timothy right now, it's a season of time where things look kind of dark. And maybe it's a time where Timothy is looking around and he's saying, no, 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 there's people here and they're abandoning the faith. And frankly, when they abandon the faith, their lives seem to get a little bit easier. It seems to get a little bit better. And there's people caving into temptation. And when they cave into temptation, their lives seem to get a little bit more relieved and it gets a little easier. And maybe Timothy is going through a season of discouragement because he's been using his gifts to serve the people of God. And some people are responding, but a lot of people are complacent or going a different way. Timothy might be going through a season of discouragement. And have you ever gone through a season where you've really been honestly wondering if God is present? If you haven't, you will. And if you have right now, if right now that's what you're going through, you're not alone. There are times where we wonder, is God real? Is God there? And what Paul's telling Timothy to do is he's saying, Timothy, I want you to remember a time where you had no doubts. I want you to remember a specific event that happened. And when it happened, there was no way to explain what was going on other than that God was present and God was working. So if right now you're doubting it, I want you to fight the good fight by remembering the way that God was at work at a time in the past. And it's hard to nail down exactly what Paul is talking about here. But later on in 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, Paul alludes again to the whole idea that Timothy's gift was confirmed by the laying on of hands of the elders and by prophecies being spoke over him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about the whole idea of him laying hands on Timothy and prophecies being spoken over him. So here's what's probably going on. Paul is probably talking about an event where the church was gathered together and there was a public recognition of Timothy's gifting. A public recognition that God had given Timothy certain gifts that were meant to be used to build up the church, specifically probably pastoring and teaching, those sorts of things, and that the people gathered together. And and as the people gathered together to affirm this in Timothy, Paul and the elders of the church gathered around Timothy, put their hands on him, prayed for him, publicly affirmed him, and spoke prophecies over him. And prophecies aren't always just telling the future, although there might have been that present also. But prophecies have to do with speaking God's bold truth over someone's life. So Timothy had a group of men gathered around him, boldly telling him who he was in his gifting and what God was calling him to do 
and serving him. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to go back and remember that. Timothy, at that point, were you really doubting God's presence? Was there any way to explain what God was doing in you and through you without the idea that God was real? Was there any way to explain away the powerful time of prayer that we had right there? Is there any way to explain away the way that you saw the spirit of God working in you and bringing joy to your heart and working through you and bringing fruit in other people's lives? Timothy, it's possible that you're in the darkness now, but I want you to look back to a time that you had no doubt about the reality of God and no doubt that he was working through you. And some of you right now might be at a point where it's easy to doubt. It's easy to doubt because you're going through trials and discouragement and you've been praying a lot for God to do certain things and he just hasn't done the things that you thought he was going to do. So you're going through a season where you're wondering about that or, or maybe it, it's even something where, where you know God has gifted you in certain ways and so you've been looking to serve him. And you've been serving him through leading a Bible study or leading a life group or teaching the kids or teaching the students and, and you've really been putting yourself out there and you're just not seeing the results and you're wondering, what, what am I doing here? Where is the great work from God that I want to see him do? And if that's where you are this morning, what I want to invite you to do is to do what Paul invites Timothy to do. I want you to look back because I'm going to bet there have been many times in your life where you haven't had a question, where God has shown you, you have known beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is at work, God is real, God is trustworthy, God is powerful. And it might even be thinking as far back to your baptism. And you're remembering that and you're thinking, gosh, I remember how strong my faith was and how committed I was to Jesus and, and the joy that I had in him bringing transformation into my life. And I remember the friends and the family gathering around and the words of truth that were spoken over me about what happened there. And I remember the celebration and I remember how vibrant it was. It might be that you're remembering a time that you were involved in some kind of work of God where you were seeing lives transformed, where you were seeing life come from people who should have been as good as dead, where you were seeing physical healings happen, where you were seeing God bring hope to people who were in despair. And you can think back and you can say, you know, at that point, I had no doubt that God was real and that God was at work. I want to invite you to look back. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying look back because those were the good old days and that's as good as it's ever going to get. I'm saying look back. Because sometimes we're in the dark and we have to remember what it's like to be in the light. Have you ever been sick and you forgot what it was like to not feel sick? That's some of you right now. You're saying, I don't remember what it was like to feel well. I don't remember what it was like to feel God. I don't remember what it was like to, to feel hope. Look back and remember that even though right now you're walking in a time of discouragement, God has been at work in you and through you. Fight the good fight, don't give out, uh, up, don't give in to discouragement, don't give in to despair by looking back and remembering what God did. And not only that, Paul's gonna tell Timothy, you fight the fight by looking back, but you also fight the good fight by looking around. And you can see I had verse 19 up there before, but, but just the beginning. So here's the whole thing. Verse 19 says, holding on to faith and a good conscience. And again, this is active language. All right, fight the good fight, holding on to faith, holding on to your trust in God, holding on to a good conscience, 
which means that God has led you in what's right and wrong. God has led you in what's good and bad. Hold on to that good conscience. Don't abandon it by caving into temptation and to easy fixes. And then he tells Timothy, I want you to look around as a warning because I want you to hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. This is tragic, but Paul wants to say to Timothy, Timothy, if you think you can win this fight without really trying, I want you to look around and realize that's not going to happen. I want you to realize that there are people who are dropping off, that there are people who once were walking strongly with the Lord, or at least appeared to be, and now they're not. There are people who have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith, which we don't know exactly what that means. We know that's not good. We know that means disaster. And it's not even clear Paul might be saying they've just suffered disaster in their own personal faith. He might even be going further and saying they have caused disaster to the Christian faith because of the things that they've done. There are people who once seemed to be walking in the light who are now walking in the darkness. And even before that, he said they've rejected. They've rejected faith in a good conscience. And the word is really clear. This is not sort of a passive drift that sometimes happens. This is an active rejection. This is an act of saying, I see this over here. I see what God is calling me to do. I see the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. I see the call to purity. I, I see the call to serve God. I see the call to, to be a part of his body. I see all those things and I reject them. I reject faith and a good conscience. And, and here's just a note for us because I, I think this not only comes through in this passage, but this is a theme throughout the New Testament. We can tend to think that the way that people drift away from Jesus is that they have intellectual doubts and they keep thinking about those intellectual doubts and eventually if they feel like they don't have answers, then they just wander away from the faith. I'm not saying that never happens, but there's a story that happens much more frequently than that story. And the story that happens much more frequently than that is we start to wander in our personal life. We start to wander into sin. We start to compromise. And then after we've compromised, after we've wandered into sin, it seems really appealing to try to find a way to justify our sin by changing what we believe. So you know the Bible says some tough things about sin. It says some tough things about sexuality. Maybe we wander for a little while and then suddenly we realize that we're doing something that clearly in Scripture we're told not to do. And we think, well, what would be easier? To abandon this and repent of all this sin or to find a way to try to get the Bible to say that what I'm doing is okay. We start with the moral drift and then we end up with the doctrinal drift. Then maybe we start by starting to wonder why it is that people around us think that we're closed-minded or that we're bigoted or that we're prejudiced because we believe that Jesus is the only way. And it's not that we're having intellectual doubts, it's that we're getting really tired of the bad feedback that we're getting. We're getting really tired of suffering disapproval from other people. So instead of saying, you know, we need to continue to fight the good fight, we say, wouldn't this just be easier if we found a way to try to get the Bible to say that there were many ways to God? Wouldn't it be great if we could somehow find a different way to understand what Jesus says when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, they rejected faith 
and a good conscience. As we look around, here's the warning that I want to give in all of this. It is not simply intellectual doubts that you need to fight the good fight in and that you need to hold to faith in. It's not only intellectual doubts. It's the moral compromise that will lead it to be much more appealing to suddenly explain away your behavior but as, by deciding to change what the Bible says. Look at the last thing that Paul says. This is frightening what he says. First of all, in verse 20, it's frightening because he names names and he doesn't normally do that. He calls some specific men out who are probably a part of what's going on in Ephesus. He says, among those, among them, among those who have rejected the faith in good conscience, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And and just quickly, we don't know a lot about either of these. They're mentioned in other letters, but we don't get a lot of information about them. But clearly, these are men that have, have compromised the faith. These are the ones who are teaching the false doctrines that Timothy is told to correct. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. It's the most controversial part of this passage. People aren't sure exactly what's going on here. Um, First of all, I just want to say, whatever's going on here, you don't want to be where Hymenaeus and Alexander are. Paul says, I've handed them over to Satan. Now, uh, I'm going to say, I have a lot of confidence. Here's what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, I've kicked them out of the church. And here's why I think Paul is saying this. Within the church, Jesus is the king. Outside the church in the world, who's the prince? Satan is the prince. Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus himself says this. John says this. Paul alludes to this. Satan is the ruler of the world. So when he says, I've handed them over to Satan, almost certainly what he's saying is, they no longer get to be treated as brothers and sisters in the church. They're now in the realm of the world. And if they're in the realm of the world, they've been handed over to Satan. Now, just in case you're thinking, Paul, really, really harsh. I want you just to look at the last part of what he says, because there's even a glimmer of hope here. He says, I've uh, I've handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now think about this for a moment. Does Satan want to teach these guys not to blaspheme? No way. Who wants to teach them not to blaspheme? God does. The Holy Spirit does. Paul does. Jesus wants to teach them not to blaspheme. The whole idea here is that Paul is saying, you know what? We're not going to treat them like brothers and sisters anymore. We're not going to treat them like what they're doing is okay. They are going to lose out on the benefits of living in the realm where Jesus is king. And they're going to get to try their hand out in the realm where Satan is ruling. And maybe what will happen is they'll be taught not to blaspheme because they'll remember just how dark it is without the light of Jesus and his people in their lives. Paul's ultimate hope, even with these false teachers, is that they are turned around by the church discipline that they experience. But either way, what he's pointing towards here is something powerful. And, that the, the, and that's that there's a reason why people surrender. We're talking about fighting the good fight. There's a reason why people surrender. And the reason why people surrender is because in the short run, it gives us some relief. There's a reason why we cave in to to temptation with sin, and that's because in the moment, it gives us some quick relief. And there's a reason why we cave into the temptation to just sort of do things our own way, because in the short term, it it, it gives us something that we want. Surrender gives you short-term relief, and Paul's pointing Timothy towards the fact that it may give you some short-term relief. You are going to pay for it in the long haul. You're going to regret it in the long haul. So when you're tempted... When you're tempted to surrender, continue to fight the good fight. And even remember this when we talk about fighting the good fight. You're not just fighting to please God. You are, 
But as you fight to please God, you are fighting for your own joy. We talked a couple weeks ago about Paul celebrating the gospel of the glory of the happy God. The God who shares his joy with his people. When you are fighting the good fight, you are fighting for the joy that you receive when you're walking closely with the one who's the source of true joy. As a household of the living God, we fight for faith. And what I I want to do now is I want to introduce this time that we're going to have where some of you are going to get up here and you're going to share stories about ways that you've seen God at work. And here's what we'll do. I've got this microphone here. And if you want to come up and share something with your brothers and sisters, share a way that you've seen God at work to build others up, you can just start heading to the front. I'll hand you the, the microphone. You can briefly introduce yourself and then build up this church family by talking about ways that you've seen God at work. Speak or shout in the light so that those who are in the darkness can be reminded of what it's like to see the powerful work of God. So if you'd like to share something, you can go ahead and head to the front. I'll hand you the microphone and we'll start in this time. My brother. Gotta be careful handing me a mic, man. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. I always tell them, be careful when you hand a black preacher a mic. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot different seeing you guys out here than sitting out there. Um, but anyways, it's so funny we're talking about this because I was having a conversation with the customer. Yes, with the customer. Uh, we were sitting at lunch, and uh, he's a non-believer, and uh, he said, he was saying to me, um, I'm just looking for a sign that God exists. I'm, you know, you hear that often. I'm looking for a sign that God exists. And I said, well, you got signs all around you. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And I said, well, if you just look at how God moves in each individual life, if you look at how God has moved in creation, if you look at how God moves with just individual situations, you see God is moving every single day. It's really a matter of you being able to put aside your, the blinders that come up or your ability to perceive what God is doing and just accept what God is doing. There are a lot of times where we try to comprehend God and there's just certain things that, many things that just go above and beyond anything that we can comprehend. Case in point, about three months ago, uh, my wife and and I and our kids, we used to live in Upland. Our landlords came to us and they said, you know, we're going to be selling our house. And I said, when she told me, I was like, okay, all right. And then around the same time, I lost two to three big major accounts at work. I'm in sales. Um, so anybody in sales in here, God bless us. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it's a very stressful environment because you just never know when you're going to keep an account and you never know when you're going to lose one. I lost two to three. And they were things that were just not in my control. And so I just said, okay, I had to, I, you know how fighters, when they're getting, they're getting ready to go. And so we're talking about fighting, I was like, okay, okay, okay. I don't know what you're doing, God, but okay, I got this. We got this. We got it. We're going we're gonna to be okay. So I remember us having a meeting with the landlords, right? And um, we loved them to death. We've known them for years. And they, they were a blessing to us to allow us to rent their home when they did three years ago. 
And I remember sitting with them at the table. They had the realtor guy there. And um, our, one of our landlords, she starts crying. My wife starts crying because they, they really did not want to kick us out. But it, they, it came to a point where they had to sell their home. And I just remember looking at them saying, God's got this. Like, God is going to move in an amazing way through this entire situation. I don't know what it looks like, but he's going to do it, right? So lost the accounts, they're going to sell the house. So lo and behold, I was with this guy and nine other guys. We were in an elder small group, right? So the last night of the elder small group, me and two other guys, John uh, Barons and Dalton Sweeney, we were in a small group doing our prayer time. Our prayer time happened to end a little bit earlier than everybody else's. And I was like, okay, guys, I don't want to be rude, but I got to go home. Uh, my wife got a migraine, and um, she just sent me a text right now. I want to get home so she can go to bed. And uh, lo and behold, they said, oh, hey, is everything okay? Like, what's going on? And so I explained the situation to them with the house and everything like that. We don't know what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. So Dalton looks at me flat out and was like, so did you, um, did you sign anything? And I said, no, we haven't signed anything. I just put down a deposit. And he says, well, you can live at our old house, rent-free. We're going to have to sell it eventually, but you guys can live here for just rent-free till we, till we get ready to sell it. To say I had a jubilation of joy in my heart <laughs> at that moment is absolutely crazy. Because the one thing I didn't say was that we went to our old apartments and like I said, we put down a deposit, but the rent was just a little bit higher than I wanted it to be, simply because, again, I had lost those accounts and money was just tight, right? So the most important part of this whole thing was I had a moment in my car where that night after we had put down a deposit, I said, Lord, if this is what you want to have happen, us to be at, this, at our old apartments, then make it happen. If this is not what you want to have happen, then make it very clear to me that this is not what you want. I'm trusting you in this entire situation. If this is not what you want, make it very clear. I think he made it very clear. That's not That's what he wanted. That's very clear. <laughs> so, again, like I said, God moves in miraculous ways. You just never know what he's going to do. Um, I just encourage you, if you're going through something right now, talk to some people. Don't try to go through the battle on your own. Yeah. Um, simply because there are so many people around you who are willing to help you. And you know who those people are. Um, I'll say this one last thing. Make sure you have a circle of people around you to help you. Yeah. Don't try to do things by yourself because you won't be able to get through it. You need to have people who will speak into your life, even people who will look you in the face and tell you, you need to fix this about yourself. Or I really want to encourage you here. So make sure you have a group of people around you that can really encourage you and really speak into your life. God bless you all. Thanks, buddy. I'm shocked. <laughs> Are you lying? Yeah, I'm lying. <laughs> Gosh, I was sitting there just trying to think of which I wanted to share. There's been so many amazing things that God's been doing. Um, so I decided on this one because the other one's too personal. Um, we bought this house um, close by about four months ago, and it was a real gut job, and we do this all the time. 
and Mike was getting bids um, for paint. And um, one of the drywall guys said, well, I have a painter, um, why don't you call him? So Mike called him, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. Anyway, he called him and he came up. And I heard Mike talking to him, and we already had a bid from these three guys. And Mike said, well, maybe I'll call you on the next job. And he left, and the Spirit of God just fell on me, and I just started crying. Mike looked at me, because, I mean, we've been married for 47 years, and he knows me well. And he said, what's going on? I said, I don't know, but you got to get that guy back. He goes, really? He goes, I don't know what's going on, but I trust, I've seen God work in you before, and I'm just going with this. So he called him up, and the guy drove all the way back from Riverside, and Mike said, I'm going to give you the job. <laughs> the next day, the guy comes up to start working, and he tells Mike this story. He is a brand new Christian. He had no money. He was out of work, and by the way, he's done a great job for us. And anyway, he was just, you know, sobbing because he's in this Bible study group and they were all praying for him to get work. Well, about, so he's been in and out as we've been progressing with our job. And last week, um, I go by the master bathroom, which is totally, you know, trying to get reassembled. And the tile guy's in there tiling. And here's my painter praying with my tile guy, and my tile guy is accepting Jesus. <laughs> I walk by, and the first thing I'm thinking, hey, this is on my dime. <laughs> but this overwhelming just smile came over my face, and I said, wow, Lord, what an appropriate thing to happen in our new house. And it was just fun. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sharon. I'm going to take your hand. You, oh, you bet. You want this. All right, there we go. Just in case. No, Absolutely. Okay. My name is Cindy Howard. I come from Buckeye, Arizona. I yeah. have a, you mind just holding it up a little higher? Oh, sure. Cindy Howard, Buckeye, Arizona. I've come to visit my son here. In fact, 25 years ago, he lived in that tiny little house just across from okay. you. But anyway, I'm here to share with you three different events that have occurred to me over my life. And probably the most uh, revealing one for me to tell is I had hepatitis C. I didn't know it until I went to uh, give blood to Red Cross in Phoenix, which I did monthly. And they sent a letter out and said, you can't receive it. I didn't even know at that time what it was. But I went to the doctors, da -da 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 -da, and they wanted to take, now this is a number of years ago, 85. They wanted to put me on some kind of medicine that was very la la la. And I said, and I, I was a believer. I believe, but you know, the trusting is slow. So um, I just said no. You know, I didn't know what my life was going to be like. I gave it to the Lord. You may do what you want with me. And so I went on with my life. And uh, I got checked up once in a while, 
you know, and my levels were fine. So I really believe that God healed me. And, you know, along with medicine, um, I, I work with faith and a little bit of medicine. I've never tried it alone with just the Lord. The second one was economics. I lost my house due to a bad second marriage. And uh, we lived in a small apartment, three teenagers, 14, 15, and 16. We economically made it. But over the years, I lived with everyone, working as a caregiver, working as a child, you know, nanny. I never had a home. I always lived with someone. I trusted the Lord that he would always bring the right kind of job that I could continue. You know what homes are here. You can't if I <laughs> come to Buckeye, and it's fairly reasonable. <laughs> but um, even then. So fast forward. <clears throat> this son of mine, I have two. They provide in different ways. But the young man over here that came in 1985 to finish school, get a degree in teaching, and teaches at Upland High, he came to me 13 years ago and said, Mom, how would you like to live in Buckeye? I was living in a one-bedroom, dark apartment. Again, you understand, when I say this, God is following me all along, all along. I started counting houses that I've lived in, as you guys were talking, and a little bit before that, because I had no idea I was going to do this. I've lived in nine different places until Sean bought the home in Buckeye. So you say look back, I look back. You say look forward, guess what's happening? The home needs to be sold in Buckeye. And I'm looking forward to seeing how God will provide with, you know, hand in hand. You know, I go with him. He doesn't go alone. So maybe I'll come back and tell you the story. <laughs> but for now, I'm trusting the Lord because it's a little scary. But I look back and see nine times he helped me. Why would he not help me again? Right? Yeah. So the clock moves on and I move out. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, you have to wait. I'm, I'm not even sure I'm going to let you come up. So. Um, okay. Um, so my name is Kalina. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I had a daughter six months ago. Her name is Ruth. Um, she's very cute. Um, so bef like a little over a year ago, I was actually I was living in Florida. And I was in a really dark place. Um, just that I had been really, the devil had been attacking me for a matter of years. Um, and my mom was praying a lot that I would come back to the Lord. And um, it was pretty desperate. <laughs> um, and honestly, it didn't, it didn't look that way at all. Um, and then I ended up getting pregnant. <laughs> um, 
And God has just, he's, um, he's shown me who he is and he's, he's provided for me. Um, and he's, he's put me in a position where I don't, there's not a lot I can rely on other than him. Um, but like, that's okay because he's like giving me more than enough. And um, yeah, I'm just, it's a really, it's, it's really beautiful. <laughs> um, and my daughter is, has been, like when, you know, people kept saying babies are a blessing and like from the moment she was conceived, she like, God, God was just using her and that's the only way I could have possibly seen me coming back to him. Hmm. And um, yeah, and after I had her, I came, or after I got pregnant, I came back here and um, and, you know, this is the church that I, like, kind of grew up in, but, um, yeah, after I came back to California, I, my mom was like, no, you should just come back, come back to LBF, and honestly, it's been amazing, and um, God has used the people in LBF to just speak into my life, and he's surrounded me with people, and, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you. I was just kidding. I, I really like Fernando. For those of you that are like, wow, that's kind of mean. That is kind of mean. Now you know the, the real Pastor Dan. That's true. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Fernando. I'm married to Sylvia. We've been together for some 20-odd years. Um, we have three kids. Um, uh, we have a 28-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 12-year-old uh, girl, Delilah, who is my boss. <laughs> and uh, before I get going on my story, the only thing worse than giving a black preacher a microphone is to give a lawyer a microphone. Oh, <laughs> so let me just back up a little bit. About six years ago, Delilah had a fever of about 103, 104. At that time, there was this epidemic going on where the news was reporting that kids were dying from the flu if you took them to the hospital. So avoid taking your children to the hospital if at all possible. Well, Sylvia and I were very concerned. Uh, the fever would not break, and so uh, we had no choice. We just started praying these healing scriptures over her, and we were teaching Delilah to pray. So Delilah, too, was praying. And the fever had gone on for about four or five days, and at some point we were very concerned about seizures, so we just decided um, if the fever doesn't break by morning, we're going to go ahead and take her to the hospital. Well, we had been praying consecutively for these five days, these healing scriptures for hours and hours. And at 7.30 in the morning, Delilah wakes up and she says, Dad, Mom, wake up. Jesus came down from heaven. He came down with the sound of trumpets. I sat on his lap. The music was beautiful. And he said to me, the fever will not return. Sylvia woke up startled. I really wanted to go back to sleep because we'd been on <laughs> up the whole night. She touched, Sylvia touched Delilah on the forehead, and Delilah's forehead was cool to the touch. The fever never came back. Now, fast, fast forward six years later, Delilah now has become consumed and developed a passion for playing tennis. About three months ago, she had to stop playing tennis because she had some kind of pain that wouldn't allow her to walk. So we took her to a number of doctors over at Loma Linda, pediatric specialists of all kinds. She's gone through three blood tests, 
three series of x-rays, two CAT scans, uh, two MRIs, one without contrast. The doctors were concerned about bone cancer and about um, an infection of the bone because she has a lesion in her leg that prevented her from playing because she has all this pain. So all of us at the household um, suddenly found ourselves lost and, and admittedly mad with God. Why would this happen to an innocent 12-year-old? And suddenly, Sylvia and I got a hold of ourselves and we decided, look, we got to draw from our past and we started praying. And we pulled out these same healing scriptures and we started praying over her. Well, Delilah had this attitude. And we had to sit down and talk to her and teach her, God wants to hear from you. At the age of 12, you're old enough now. We, we can pray for you, but God wants to hear from you. Well, the bone lesion is still there, but the pain went away two days after she started praying this, the, 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 the healing scriptures with this semblance of respect and deference for our Lord. And while we're still in the midst of trying to find out what, what the diagnosis is, because the experts are not in agreement, we're continuing to fight for our faith. And I like the scripture of Jeremiah 29, 13, because it says, um, seek me and you shall find me. When? When you seek me with all your heart. Yeah. So you have to be totally broken and just surrendering everything to God and, and serve our Christ in such a way where we seek him. I also like the scripture in James that says, the, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So if any of you are going through something, because we're all going through stuff at different times of our lives, I just want to encourage you. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Hold on to your faith. Fight the good fight and continue to hold out with faith and hope because we have a tomorrow because of Christ and he can do amazing things for us, but we have to give him the chance to bless us through our hope and our faith because right now that's what we're doing. We're holding on to hope and faith and we have other challenges in life with all of our kids, but ultimately it's through Christ, through prayer, through hope and through faith. So God bless all of us. Thanks, So I'm very nervous right now, but I'll try to get through this. Um, I'm Jennifer, and um, six months ago on Jan actually, yeah, January 9th, my dad passed away from cancer, and he had a long battle with it. He um, had prostate cancer for 15 years, but then it ended up spreading to um, organs like lungs and bones and lymph nodes, and... Um, so for many years, I just prayed, God, just please keep him healthy. And um, I, I was very close to my dad. And so I just couldn't imagine seeing him, you know, getting worse and worse and dying. I just thought, there's no way I could ever go through that. But I did. And it was all because of, of Jesus. He just gave me so much strength and um, peace to go through that. I mean, I, I just, looking back, I thought that I... I don't know. I just never thought I could go, that I would be able to go through that the way I did. I thought that when I would go visit my dad, that I would be crying and just so sad. And I wasn't. I just, I didn't focus on death. I just focused on him and, you know, being alive. And um, I think also what helped me too was um, I just really tried to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I just, for the first time, I just really trusted him. Okay. You're in control. 
you know what you're doing. And I tried to not focus on the way my dad was suffering because that was just too hard. So I just kept my eyes on God and he, he got me through it. So um, God is good. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to read it so I didn't get it wrong. Yeah, there you go. I got hit by a car last Monday on a bicycle, so I just wanted to say thank you to God to be here at 65. <laughs> yeah, it was an e-bike and I was going too fast. After it says the word of God is living and powerful, and you know the rest of that, it says, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Anybody ever been burned in a church? You know, you give like tens of thousands of dollars in time and then they dump you and it wasn't your fault or in a marriage and you say, wow, I was really trying to hear you, Lord. We do not have a priest, high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did anybody hear anything singular there? Seeing that we have a great high priest, let us hold fast our confession for we are, we are, we, somewhere in there, when you get burned, it's easy to pull back and go, all right, you know, how does Gary Smalley put it in the five languages of love? What does it do? What good does it do if you have the houses and everything and the perfect marriage, but they're not walking with the Lord? And you, of course, blame yourself. And um, my neighbors talked me into coming here because of the way they lived their lives for Christ. I helped start this church a long time ago, a little bit, and uh, got really hurt here and elsewhere with, um, with life. I mean, we make mistakes, and, and yet we desperately need to fight that faith for one another because, um, you know, last Monday I got clocked and might not have been here today but it says let another praise you and I want to thank each person here that's been kind to me I pulled back hard uh, it's it's difficult to live homeless when you've been used to having homes but the kindness and the Christ in each of you that have given me some of your valuable time uh, when there are five suicides in my family have been quite valuable because at 65 when you're handicapped and you've had cancer a few times and your teeth are store-bought you start saying okay Lord am I done and then somebody says that you blessed them and you know you're just a cracked clay pot so how did they really get blessed it was that received not achieved I'm not going to try and get it right <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Thank you all.
All right, we'll let you be the anchor leg of the race. <laughs> Better be good. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> so the reason I've called you all here today, no, I'm kidding. Um, so I've, I've been encouraged by this. Um, First Thessalonians tells us to encourage one another yeah. and to build each other up. And so I hope that maybe some of my recent life experience can build some of you up who may be in a similar situation that I have found myself in. And the Lord has been working so amazingly uh, in my life. And so if any of you in this room right now are suffering with anxiety, and that's, and I've, I testified to it, I think it was earlier this year, that we, and just the growth that I've had personally since then has been amazing. And one of the things that I do, try to do as frequently as I can is to journal. And so I just simply want to share with you from my journal entry from yesterday, um, which dovetails so awesome with what we've studied today. And it, it's about, um, it's from uh, Matthew 27, when Jesus dies on the cross. And everything that happens immediately following when he gives up his spirit. So bear with me a sec. So it's uh, Matthew 27, uh, 51 through 53, which is my scripture reference. But when Jesus gave up his life in verse 50... Seven intensely amazing things happened. The veil was torn, an earthquake, rocks split, tombs broke open, dead saints were raised to life. They came out of their tombs and they went into the city and appeared to many people. Imagine that. I mean, just imagine that. that I mean, people who were dead are walking in the city again. But I like how John Piper said in his Desiring God blog that new things cannot be built unless there is serious destruction. Hmm. And the destruction that happened immediately following Jesus' death was, uh, on, there was no argument. There were earthquakes, rocks split. Hmm. So then I reflected on my own life and I said, my heart was never going to be healed unless God came in and des- destroyed the footholds the enemy had. My... Uh, My panic attack was the destruction or demolition that was necessary for God to start restoring and replacing all the junk in my life. And I used to look frequently back at, it was back in October 20, I can remember it as if it was yesterday, October 2017, I had a panic attack, and if you know me, I'm a control person, and I did not know what to do. I was lost in the moment because of that panic attack. And I reflected on that for a long time, saying, God, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? One thing I did learn is to quit asking God why (laughs) and just move forward. But I need to remember when God rearranges the furniture of my life that it isn't because I'm necessarily doing bad, but that he has something better for me. And that's what I've been reflecting on a lot lately is the things that have occurred since that time. And I can't help but, I mean, Romans 8.28 is just resonating in my mind over and over and over again. Um, and we know that in all things, God works for the good that, that love him. Extreme paraphrase. But because, <laughs> because I love him, because you love him, the, thing, the circumstances that may be going on in your life right now are not bad, necessarily. He's refining you. He is making a change in you so that you will have a testimony that you can serve better 
And who knows, maybe you'll be standing up here giving that testimony too. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Rich. Here's what I want to do as we get ready to close. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads for a moment. And, and in a moment, I'm going to pray. But first, I just want, I just want you to take in that we've heard, um, I don't know, seven or eight people come up here this morning. That's just a small percentage of all of you. You've got to hear some stories about how God has been at work. You've got to hear about new life in Jesus. You've got to hear about physical healing You've got to hear about grace being extended in times where it was desperately needed, of God bearing up people with strength through trials. Um, I want to invite you to do two things. First of all, I want to invite you, with your friends, with your smaller groups, continue in the spirit, share with others the stories of how you've seen God at work. And I also want to invite you that if you're in a time of darkness, borrow strength from your friends who you've heard up here who are confidently testifying about how God has been at work. And Father, we thank you. We pray that you empower us to fight with all of the strength that you supply. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we fight, not so that we're impressed with ourselves, but so that you receive the glory of supplying strength through weak, broken vessels. We love you. We pray for your continued work in us. We pray that these words that have been spoken today would be words shouted in the light so that they can be later whispered in the darkness. Thank you for the strength and the grace that you give us. I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And just as you're going, there's going to be some folks who make their way up here to the right. They would love to pray with you and talk with you afterwards if you have prayer needs. So thank you so much for being here today. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.